Hi, I'm Brent Pope and welcome to Stronger With Sport. Just going to run out a series of, uh, of podcasts um, around the rugby, I suppose, or rugby life, uh, especially with the upcoming uh, Six Nations. And uh, I thought about who I would have on my first guest, somebody that's, uh, I suppose, uh, shared a lot of rugby experience with me over the years and also somebody that's a, a household face. Uh, in Irish rugby, so I invited George Hook in for a chat, and we're just going to talk about rugby and life, George. But we're going to start off with just, uh, I suppose, a few short-fire questions. Now I know it's hard for you to answer in, in, in kind of a couple of words, but I'm just asking you to answer these questions with just what comes off your head uh, that, that stays. So, first question is: Tell us one thing most people wouldn't know wouldn't know about you. Okay, your holiness. Um, the, the thing I think most people wouldn't know about me is that I am an incredibly caring and generous human being. Uh, and in fact, if humanitarian awards will be done after my death, I, I confidently expect the UN uh, General Secretary to say I was probably one of the great contributors to world peace. No, seriously, no. Seriously. Now, what would be something that people wouldn't know about you? Well, I mean, that's a. I mean, <laughs> that's what it's meant uh, to be. Difficult. All right, I, I think the George Hook. This is what they yeah. don't know about me. Yeah. That the George Hook they don't know yeah. is very, very different from the George Hook that they would have read in the newspaper, they would have watched on television, or they would have listened to on yeah. the radio. I am very different from that. That does not mean, unlike my good friend Damon Dunphy, that I would pretend in any way to be something that I am not. But I am different in different in my how, whole. different in that in that people don't well, see your kindness I, or people don't no, see your no, big half. No, no, no. I think the thing that people wouldn't realise yeah. about me is I get incredibly nervous about performances yeah, like this. And you know that. <laughs> know we that. worked together. You sauntered in about 30 minutes before the show, utterly relaxed. I was there about four hours before that, worrying about it. So that part, yeah. that nervous part, that lack of no, confidence, no, no, no. I mean, exactly. part of what has bedeviled a huge portion of my life is actually, was actually yeah. lack let, of confidence. Let, let's talk about that because I think that's one thing that, that people wouldn't know about you. People think you as an overconfident guy. And we talked about it again. But second question is that other than anything living, obviously Ingrid and grandchildren, children, what would be the first thing you would rescue from a burning house? From my house, I, I, I think I know. I really have it. I went to Spain um, as a young man, right? And I wanted to impress the girls at dances in Dublin on a Saturday night. And I bought this wonderful suede jacket. And, and this suede jacket is now over 60 years old. It's hanging in there and I wear it. I now wear it only in the sanctity of my bedroom. And I put it on in front of the mirror and I think, God, George, you look But great. what about something, Sandra? What about a photo? You're very close to your mother, obviously. I mean, what about photos of... of uh I, Your no, own family like, or... You see, the, like, people are listening to this and they're thinking, like, yeah. he's not taking it seriously. But in a way, I am. No, 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 and I, I see that. I, I, like, the, the thing is... Because that, that the item of clothing meant something to you in, in, in your yeah, life. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I get because that. It, that piece of clothing 
represents more than represents something. You see, yeah. I don't need a picture of my mother. Yeah. Like no, no. The, the reason I believe in heaven, the reason I passionately believe in heaven is because I want to meet my mother. And and I want to say, ma'am, ma'am, I'm I'm really sorry. You know, I treated you like crap. I was a bad son, but you know, I made it in the end. So it's not a picture for me. If you want to talk about my mother, it's not a picture. I my mother is with me every waking minute. Not a day passes that I don't think about my I think mother. that's lovely. And I could see that that really emotionally got you in that moment, you know, when yeah. you talk I could see your, your tears, Ellen. But I suppose that that's, leads me on to the next thing, is uh, what happens when we die, George? Well, I'm going to go to heaven, you know, um, because I've led a blameless life, so I'm going to go to heaven. Um, but I believe in see, that's the point. Like, it's not very fashionable Have you moment. a strong faith? I'm now a Christian as opposed to a Catholic, so I, 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 I don't go to Mass every Sunday or whatever, but, I mean, I have... A firm belief in heaven. A firm belief in heaven. It's a great friend of mine. She was the first girl I ever kissed, and then she became a nun as a result of me kissing her. But I met her recently, and she's roughly the same age as me. And I said, Angela, I said, you know, you two of us now are coming near the end, and so on. And she said something very important to me. She said. You know, won't it be terrible if I've spent this entire religious life and it wasn't true? And it must be very difficult for, for religious people, nuns and priests, because they've devoted their life to this and they, and they suddenly discover it wasn't real. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'd be pretty disappointed if this fiery chariot doesn't come whizzing down. It's this guy with this long grey beard, you know, and he's not a member of ISIS, it's actually God the Father. And he comes whizzing down in, in it and he says, Georgie boy, you made it. And I come to the gate and St. Peter says, George, you're in. I know that's a humorous way of describing a very firm belief that I no, have. No, absolutely. And I think, I think you make a good point there. I was brought up a, a strict Catholic. My father was a kind of a lay priest for the one of a better word. And you know, a bit like you, an altar boy, and took up the offerings and that. But uh, a guy, I was just talking about religion to somebody uh, there a while ago, and they said, they said from a priest, said something wonderful to them. I think he said, your contract is not with the church, your contract is with God. And I like that because it meant that you didn't have to be necessarily a Catholic or follow Catholicism, but you could still be a Christian and follow God. But I know you've lost a couple of uh, friend, dear friends uh, through rugby, Ray McLaughlin, one of the close friends. Are you scared of death, George? Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. I mean, nobody who's 80, like me, if he says he's not afraid, then he's not giving you the full shilling. Like, what is what happens now at this point at 80 is, you know, you, you're, on, you're on the final lap. Now, the, the big problem, and, and it is a big problem, I'm 80, so am I going to keep... Is my brain going to keep working? Yeah. Am I going to know that I, what day of the week it is? Am I going to recognize my grandchildren? Mm. Now, the, if I knew that was going to happen, mm. then I go to Switzerland and I'd, 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 oh yeah, 
I'm great. But the problem is I won't know. The problem no, is no. You live that, in your own world that I began in somewhere not knowing what day of the week it is. But that's the most, that's the terrifying thing. I mean, that scares, you know, me totally. The second thing is that, like, do I have a year? Do I have 10 years? Do I have 20 years? Who knows, like? So if you knew that you were going to go at that date, then you could plan simple things. You could plan simple things like pension. You could plan oh, Would you like things. to know or would you rather not know? I'd be good, I think, with somebody saying to me, Five years or... George, you're going on your 86th birthday on the 19th of May, uh, 2026. You'd be okay up until the 18th of May. Yeah. No, I'd be okay <laughs> No, no, that. it's... it's I could cope yeah. with that. No, that's very honest. I that's, could cope with that. That's very honest. What's the most hurtful thing anybody's ever said to you? Her name uh, was... Uh, Mary Jones and uh, I took her to the movies in Cork and I wanted to impress her right and obviously the way I was going to impress her was I was going to smoke that made me really impressive so you could buy a cigarette for a penny which is like one cent and you got a match as well so I bought the fag and I bought the match for a penny and I took her I always remember it was the Savoy cinema in Cork and I took her you know and then I tried to kiss her in the back row and and she said I never really liked you anyway but now I don't like you because you smell and I, I, I think I never recovered from that. I don't think. Yes, sir. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't think. Like, uh, I was dreadful with women. I was appalling with women. <laughs> I, I got, I'd say I got stood up if there was a kind of a statistical average for getting stood up. I'd say I was stood up yeah, but more you kept, than the statistical you kept average. I, I remember being at school, I remember plucking up the carriage to, um, at that time I thought was the most beautiful girl at school, Leanne Parkin, and told you how long ago, because she had a page boy haircut. And I asked her to the, to the dance, I was probably intermediate, how old would I have been before secondary school, maybe 13 or 14. And didn't I get gout at that age, gout. I got gout on my foot and I couldn't go to the dance and my, my, my best friend took Leanne Parkin to the dance and he kissed her and I was devastated. You know, not only the fact that I couldn't go with Leanne Park into the to, to the to the dance, but then I got gout, and then that my friend kissed her. But um, I suppose the last one of these questions: sum up your life in five words. Your life thus far, obviously. Oh, five words is good. I never stopped trying. That's lovely, actually. It's a, a lovely thing to say because I think that people that know you would say that. And that leads us perfectly on to rolling back the clock now, so the rugby rugby talk. I know I know where you came from. People don't realise I was on the TV with Bill O'Hurlihy and Tony Ward and Kieran Fitzgerald at those panel at that time. Uh, you came on the scene a bit later. At that stage, you know, I read your book, obviously, which is, which is a great read. I'm not just saying that because you're here, but it, it really was because you one of the first books I read that delved into more of your life. So you're over in the States, uh, coaching, running up the miles, state to state, uh, place to places. You spoke about wasn't a particularly happy part of your life being away from Ireland with Ed Erisalem. You came back and you appeared on television. Did you ever think 
in your wildest imagination, having a lack of confidence, did you ever think that some years on that you would have had your own TV show, your own radio show, independent uh, columnist, uh, numerous after dinner speaking, all those things becoming probably a, a, a really well-known face, in fact, probably one of the most well-known faces in, in our side. Did you ever think that your life would go that way? at that age, because you only came onto the TV in your late 50s. Well, okay, let's take, well, the short answer is no, but why no? Uh, here I am at 80 years of age, and only 25% of the 80 years on earth was I successful, okay? So I, I, I wasn't a particularly good student, uh, I didn't make the school rugby team, I didn't go to university, um, I then set up my own business uh, in which I was manifestly unsuitable for and I succeeded in spending 25 years on the run from not only just the creditors but for the cops. Um, I abandoned my wife and children first to go to America and coach in America. Then I abandoned them to go and coach in England at London Irish and filed in Lancashire. My entire life was a failure and I earned my first wages check, my first serious wages check at age 54 when I did uh, a piece for RTE television and they gave me 25 pounds and I just thought I was made. And did I, now the question is, did I think there was going to be something, of course I didn't think, it was going to lead to something else. But I work with kids now. I work with kids, boys and girls in court. In media. In, in media. But I say this to them. You don't know when your lucky day is going to arrive. Because we all have a lucky day, but most people wouldn't recognise luck if it hit them in the face or they're not prepared. So when I got that first job with Fred Cogley by the pool, uh, in Johannesburg, before Ireland played Wales in the 95 World Cup, and I'm age 54. They said to me, George, you got four minutes. And I prepared for that four minutes like it was the most important four minutes of my life. Now, I didn't realize it actually was the most important four minutes of my life, but I, I you know I'm, I, I, I do this all the time. But that's I your message to the kids you talk to, is that yes, you prepare. you prepare for everything. It mightn't appear important now, but it could be. So you prepare for it. And, and I, you asked me five words. I never stopped trying. So I was trying my best all the time. Most of it was failure, but I was trying. And do you think, that from, from a rugby perspective, and I know you coach a lot of clubs and you coached you know, right up to international level with the, with the Eagles and stuff. Do you look back now and think you're a good coach? Did you achieve everything you wanted to in coaching or not? Or did you leave something, you know? Well, we don't achieve anything like in life. You don't achieve like perfection ever in life. It Could you have coached the Irish rugby team, for instance? I should have coached the Irish rugby team and I can tell you when it was. I can literally tell you when it was. Cannot before or since, let me remind you, have never had as many internationals on the same Irish team as when I coached them. And I'll, uh, name Jim them Kurt, I'll name them for you. Gagan. Jim Stable, Jim Staple, Simon Gavigan, Curtis. David Curtis, Mick Fitzgibbon, Mannion. Noel Mannion. When have Connacht had five uh, people on the Irish team? So anyway. And who was the coach at that stage? 
Chitty Hook. No, who, coach of Connacht, but who's the coach of Ireland? Well, this is the interesting thing. Chitty Hook got the Connacht job because Kieran Fitzgerald had got the Irish job. So now there was a space in Connacht for G. Hook. G. Hook asks Eddie O'Sullivan to be his assistant. Now, Connacht have got, I think it's fair to say, Eddie O'Sullivan was, and in my view, still is, one of the best coaches that ever was. Technical coach. Technically. So now you've got, in a way, you've got yeah. the idea the brand yeah. here. You've got Eddie, who's the technician, yeah. and, and you've you got Hook, who's, who's the motivator, the organizer, the planner, all that sort of stuff. And we work very well. Kieran Fitzgerald is at, is yeah. a, at Ireland, yeah. and, and he gives his job up early because of business pressures or whatever, but he didn't finish his contract. There's a spot. There's a vacancy. For you and Eddie to go in as a it package. It should have been Eddie and, and me. And it became? Jerry Murphy. My good pal, Jerry Murphy. My, my good pal on the Munster Schools cricket team, Jerry Murphy. Now, like, and I can remember it. I know why I should have got it in. Also, Connacht are playing Munster, right, in Limerick, okay? They don't beat Munster very often in Limerick. No, the, referee, if it, if it, the referee is my good friend Owen Doyle. And Ralph Keyes takes a drop goal, which misses the posts by the proverbial mile. And the next minute, I see my pal Owen Doyle hold his hand up and say it's three points. We were beaten by a point by Munster. Had we beaten Munster then, Hook and O'Sullivan would have been unstoppable. Stop of it. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, you talk about luck. I mean, that just that point might have propelled. It would have been. It would have been one of the first wins, obviously, for Connacht Rugby in, in, in Limerick against Munster. And it might have been just enough at that stage to say, "Hey, let's have a look at this guy." But just going back on that, I know. I know talking to a lot of players you've coached, your 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 team talks have been legendary. You know, and sometimes good and sometimes not legendary. But can you remember a team talk where it went absolutely wrong? at any stage. Oh yeah. You know, when you were in the throes of banging the, the thing and then suddenly you forgot a player's name or you forgot who you were playing. No, I can remember. Know. It's okay. You don't need to prompt me. I can remember <laughs> it very well. I'm coached to Connacht, right? And my first uh, match, funny enough, was against Spain. Spain were actually touring Ireland One in, of the, the powers in of like, of world rugby. In like October, <laughs> yeah. before the championship, the provincial championship. Yeah. And I... Uh, I've got this kid from London Irish, she's only about 19, this blonde wing, right? Uh, who I'd heard Staples had introduced him to me, right? And this guy's, and I've got team talk, so now we're here, Hook is now in full flow. <laughs> Billy Graham, the great evangelist, at his best. Nothing on you. Had no, nothing no, on no, Hook here. And Hook is dredging back into Cromwell. Right? I'm going back into Cromwell to hell or to Connacht. I got the whole thing on. <laughs> and then I look down. And there is this young kid, this young blonde kid with his earphones in, not paying a blind bit of attention. <laughs> I was devastated. And Gagan and I have had a very interesting relationship since ever that. since that day. No, just because I remember Victor Costello saying you were trying to wind him up for, for a match and say, son, you've got the, 
what is it, the pace of a Patagonian turtle. <laughs> Victor remembers he didn't even know where Patagonia was or if it was a place, but certainly the word turtle resonated with him. He said, I said, I'll never forget, he said, I was known as a fast player. And George told me, he said, you know, you've had the pace in the first half, Victor, of a Patagonian turtle. And they said, he just always remembered but that. But you see, the only thing which people forget now, right, the Irish team is going to try those in the Six Nations in a couple of weeks. And they probably have about five coaches, yeah. like, and they have a dietitian, and yeah. they have something else and something else and something else. Yeah. When, when our, yeah. our generation yeah, yeah, of yeah, coaches, yeah. we had to be backs coaches, yeah, and we had coach. to be forwards coaches, yeah. and we had to be nutrition coaches, and we had to be... Well, you were innovative. Uh, talking to, to, talking to, to players you coached, you know, be it at St. Mary's or Belvedere or, you know, these clubs you're involved, they always said, look, George, you know, had a master plan, and he was it was ahead of his time, which is a lot of what a lot of players said. Whether it was having a three man three man scrum or a fifteen man line out or whatever, you were ahead of your time as a lateral thinker of the game, but and I, always respected you about that. But I remember there was a great New Zealander called Ian Kirkpatrick. Yeah, oh, one of the was back or forward, and Kirkpatrick, I read somewhere where he said the best coaches were always bad players. All right. That applied to me. I was no good. Like, I was just no good, but I understood it. I mean, so I was ideal for a coach, really. You see, the problem is, and, and if you take Brian O'Driscoll as an example, right? Everything Brian O'Driscoll did in the game was instinctive. So therefore, it's harder for him to coach yeah. because he never had to learn it. Yeah. You then take a bad player, and this is what Ian Kirkpatrick yeah. really meant, I think. You then take a bad player like George. I had to work out, like, yeah. how back do I scrummage better no, no. or how do I do back row attacks? So I had to work it out, and, and that helped a lot. But also, because you had to do backs and forwards, coaches like Eddie O'Sullivan, who were backs, had to understand forwards learn, learn yeah. and forwards like me had to understand Well, you make a play. great point, and the point is this, is that is that these teams have so many coaches now, they don't know the specifics of the game. So you've mentioned to a forward coach, and a lot of, coach, a lot of coaches I find in the modern game just come in with ideas from the coach they've been coached with before. They don't have new ideas. But the point you make is that if you go back over the history of coaches that have won a World Cup, not many of them played international rugby for, 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 their, for their own country. You know, John Hart didn't, uh, yeah, uh, Nick Mallett didn't, um, uh, the, the Aussie uh, co coaches that won the World Cup. Um, Jones. Uh, yeah, Jones did Alan Jones, uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, so there's a lot of coaches have, have been on that thing. So I think that's that's been lost in the game. But... Um, the nutrition thing is interesting. I'll give you a quick story about the nutrition thing. Colin Meads. The great Colin Meads um, passed away a, a couple of years ago. Sadly, he was over. He was over promoting the World Cup in New Zealand in 2011. So Ollie Campbell invited him along to a dinner, and I was sitting next to him. And he told the story that sums up what you said, and I think it's quite amusing. You like it. He said to me, he said, Popey, he said, I was a manager of the All Blacks a couple of years ago, and I knew Colin from years ago playing rugby at underage. So he called me Popey, and he said, Popey, he said, he said, you know what the All Blacks went and did? They went and got a bloody nutritionist. And he said, I was disgusted. He said that they got a nutritionist and he said, you know, so he said, then we're out for dinner the night before an international match with the nutritionist. And she looked at him and she said, Mr. Mead, she said, by the way, she said, what did you used to eat before an international? He said, well, 
he said, I'd get up about seven o'clock in the morning, share, share 50 or 60 sheep to get the blood running. He said, then I'd come in about 11 o'clock in the morning of a game. He said, my wife would have a big steak and a big pile of buttery mash. And he said, I'd have that, tuck into it and go the game. And said, she, he said, she looked at him, shook her head and said, Mr. Meads, you don't realise how good you could have been. He said, well, Jesus, he said, I turned out to be one of the best rugby players of all time. But that was just how the, how the face of rugby has changed. Do you enjoy the modern game? No, not at all. I, I watch very little rugby, uh, very little. Uh, the main reason is that one of the great blots on civilization's landscape was the Emperor Nero. And what he did was he, he put people into the arena and the, the crowd were thrilled because they saw two people beating the little big Jesus out of each other and one of them died, okay? And to me now, that's what rugby is. Rugby now is a replica of ancient Rome, where 30 young men in, in the absolute prime of their lives physically go out and risk. Uh, yeah, you've been outspoken. They risk, they risk serious injury. I mean, we cannot even imagine what these young men are going to look like at age 50. But more importantly, and the evidence, I mean, this drives me mad. The evidence is indisputable that this game creates traumatic brain injury. Indisputable. And we go out and then we have this famous phrase, H-I-A, and you suddenly see some kid getting his brains beaten out and they say, oh, he's going all for a H-I-A. And what is a H-I-A? When you wrap all the science around it, they basically say to the fella, how many fingers am I holding up in front of you, Mick? And what day is the week is it? There's none. You cannot, you cannot test for concussion. people, won't people call you or look at you as a hypocrite then and say, okay, you've made your life out of rugby, you've made your, your notoriety out of rugby, you played the game, you coached the game, isn't it all convenient now for them to turn around and say, you know, the game is not safe and, and scare young people away from the game? Won't people look at that and say, well, look, hold on, you know, he's got his, he's got his dose of good luck out of rugby and it's been good to him now to turn around and say, okay, it's a dangerous game and, you know, I, I you know, I just think it's important that I think it's important that the game is made safer. I get that, and 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 so you clearly don't think that the game is any safer well, now. Like we've disagreed on this almost for as long as as we've talked. The first thing is that rugby union in the twenty first century is completely different from rugby union for the bulk of the 20th century. Yeah. No, I get, I now, the average rugby match now can have 300 tackles. In fact, there, have been, there was a famous Ireland-Wales game in which Wales on their own made 300 tackles. Now, if, if you think of uh, my good friend who passed away so recently, the great Ray McLaughlin, one of the greatest prop forwards the game has ever seen, how many tackles did Ray make in the average 80 minutes? You know, one if he was lucky. <laughs> one if you were um, good. Now you have the modern prop forwards are making 20. And then the, 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 the newspapers the following day proudly tell us that Joe McDokes made so many tackles, so many carries, like the game so was how, safer. So how do the administrators clean up the game then? Or is the game finished, in no, your opinion? No, 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 this is the point, it's not. 
If, if, if there was imagination in water rugby, if there was courage in water rugby, if there was integrity in world rugby, we would seek change, right? I have no faith in world rugby because I don't have any faith in the people who are in charge. But the first thing is that in almost every other aspect of life, you look at children and you create a situation that is safe for children yeah. that is different for adults. Mm -hmm. if, if Johnny Sexton or Jordan Larmer or Gary Ringrose, if they want to put their lives at risk for 500,000 a year, mm -hmm. they're welcome to it. But does a 15-year-old, can he make an educated decision, this is a game I should play? He can't. So therefore, but the game is the same. If you watch, and I do, because I have grandchildren, and I won't tell them not to play. I won't do that. No. I watch them. The game the 14-year-old is playing is an exact replica of the senior game. So the 13-year-old scrum half passes not to the 13-year-old out half, he passes the 13-year-old prop forward, who charges straight at another prop forward, crash, bang, wallop, and then they win the ball, yeah. and then he passes I think, to I, I, I think you've hit on the time. I think so give first. Yeah. And here's the important thing. If we want to change the game in Six Nations or international rugby, we have to get all the countries together and have a meeting and everything. But tonight, Leinster schoolboys rugby or Munster schoolboys rugby or Irish schoolboys rugby could change the laws. They don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to ask anybody's permission. Look at New Zealand. I mean, I have so much regard for New Zealand rugby, except when I'm playing against them, but, but I mean, I have so much regard for them. They were the first country in the world to bring in a change in the scrum for underage players. Yeah. First, where they said the scrum couldn't go forward, right? New Zealand doesn't work on the basis of age. They work on the basis of weight yeah. of which, young which, people. Which, I'm just going to go on to that, which I really agree with, because, I mean, there were so many... You know, at one stage, the, the, the New Zealand schoolboy front row was heavier than the all-black front row. Correct. And there was a very, fa I, I don't want to bring human to it, but a human to it, but it sort of sums it up because when the World Cup was out there in 2011, there was a report, a, a, a reporter from the UK went to a, a local underage match down at Hagley Park in Christchurch, you know, the big park in the middle of Christchurch. And she interviewed a, a series of, of young kids standing there. There were about five snowy-haired kids, and then there was a one Polynesian kid who was about six foot two, looked a bit like John Aloma. She, she's going down the line, talking to the kids with the mic, saying, "Who's your favourite player? Uh, you know, Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, or whatever. You know, what team are you playing for? I'm playing for some that are under 13s or whatever, under 14. Did you win? These sort of questions. She comes along to this big kid at, 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 at the end of the line. She said, "My God," she said, "Look at the size of you." She said, "What grade are you playing?" He said in a squeaky voice, oh, I'm playing with my friends in the under-13s. And she said, look at the size here, look at the, you know, she said, you must be about 85 kgs or something, six foot three. She said, she said you must be a forward. He said, oh, no, he said, I'm, I'm in the backs. And she said, why don't you play in the forwards? She said, don't want to get hurt, bro. <laughs> the truth is, don't want to get hurt, bro. But that just signified the difference in New Zealand rugby when, when, young, when young parents were, com were, were, were comparing the size of the development of their kids against some of the Polynesian and the Maoris who developed early and saying, hold on, you're right. It's, it, I can't ask my son who's, who's five foot three and, 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 and seven stone dripping wet to tackle a rampaging 
um, uh, you know, the young guys 18 stone. The greatest rugby nation on earth remains New Zealand. New Zealand in the last 10 years have lost more underage clubs, more underage players than at any time in their history. Now, what, and the people who are going to change it are not George Hook or Brent Pope. It's Mrs. Hook. It's my daughter-in-law or my daughters who are going to change it. They are going to say, we do not, and it's happening. I mean, it is happening in front of people's eyes, but World Rugby is blind. Why are they blind? They are blind for the simple reason that rugby is now, understandably, about money. It's only about money. So if, if uh, television came to world, came to the IRIFU and said, you know, the Wales game, uh, we'd like it at three o'clock, the IRFU would say, would that be AM or PM? Like they'd, happily, they'd happily play at any time television says. So if you if money dominates it, then it's fine. I don't again I don't have a problem with it. How many people live in America? Three hundred and fifty million people live in America. How many people play American football? A thousand. There are a thousand professional footballers in America. Rugby American footballers in football. Yeah. A thousand, right? The overwhelming bulk of the American people, male mostly, obviously, watch sport from the sanctity of their couch with a pint of beer and a packet of crisps. So a thousand is fine. What has happened in America? We've seen the film. We saw the movie. We saw a concussion about that doctor who, who, who and eventually, American football had to pay out over a billion dollars to, to their men who, who did all sorts of things. What happened in American football? Huge amounts of domestic abuse, huge amounts of suicides, huge amounts of homelessness. Only in recent weeks you had a professional footballer, rugby player, retiring from the game at 41. Carl Heyman. Yeah. 41, not so much retiring from the game, but saying at 41, yeah. I don't know what day of the week it is. I didn't know you, his uh, um, yeah. children's names. but um, didn't know his children. You have players who played in World Cup finals, who can't remember playing in the World Cup final. Now, it's happening. Why are we allowing it to happen? If, if they want to earn half a million bucks, that's fine by me, yeah. but not children. Okay. No, no, we'll, we'll finish that, but I, I hear what you're saying, you know, oh, they, they can I'm make sorry. their own... You started me no, off No, 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 but I know you're passionate about it, and I know people will thank you for it, and I, I, I do agree with you in the sense that it's the underage game that needs to be looked at, and, and I do agree with that, you know, people, people at the senior level have a choice to make, uh, you know, them, themselves, and it's whether it's a professional career or not. Now, just getting, I suppose, to, 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 to modern-day rugby, um, you obviously still, still follow it. Uh, we're coming up to the Six Nations... Um, Ireland are in a pretty good place. I actually picked, I'll show you the strength and depth from, from Ireland now, uh, the, a few years ago. I picked four teams that I, four teams from Irish players that, that, that could compete in the Six Nations against the likes of, you have to say, against the likes of Italy and, and still win. Four teams. I mean, in some positions like 
you know, back row or front row or whatever, there's maybe six or seven, eight options. I mean, who do you think, who do you think is going to win the Six Nations and then, I suppose, leading on to the World Cup, who do you think is then going to win the World Cup, albeit France? Do you think it's France's year in the Six Nations this year or is, is that going to be reserved for next year? Uh, do you think it's, it's Ireland's to win this year, given that England are going through a rebuilding process? Scotland, well, you know, Scotland to Scotland to say, you know, they'll fire a couple of shots, but I don't think they'll win it. I think, I think Ireland could very well win it this year, couldn't they? Well, the Six Nations table at the end of the competition will read France 1, Ireland 2, England 3, Scotland 4, Wales 5 and Italy 6. I think you, yeah, I think you'd be, yeah, I just think I'd, I'd reverse the top order. I think, I, think I, I think Ireland actually will win it. I think France second, I think you're right, England, Scotland, Wales, yes, I think Wales, because they're due to their injuries, are in a bit of trouble. Italy, of course, you know they've gone they've gone backwards as we know. Sadly, Scotland again they'll knock off one or two teams. But I think I think then I think England a bit underdone, even though they've got some exciting young players. But I think I think that Ireland will beat France in 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 in, in Paris. I, I you know I just think that France are a year out from the World Cup. They may be experimenting a bit. I don't think they've got all their key players back. But so you think it'll be France? Uh, I mean, like. They'll lose another game, by the way. I don't think France will win the Grand Slam. I think they'll. they'll oh, yeah. France, it. France will beat everybody, and and like the thing is, there's something about France first of all. I know. You right, know? Yeah. When you go to Paris for the first time, like you're suddenly think, oh god, this place is yeah, really special. Yeah, but that mystique. No, look, but that's France, and then there's French people. And, and and then there's French girls, and and then like <laughs> not playing. no, but there, there's something. No, it, it it boils down to to being French, right? It boils down to being French. Yeah, but isn't so, there something no, about but, French but, that are too that are so less yes, fair and say, oh, shh, but we but lose, we why win. I, you know? Why I talked about all this French thing is that it their game and and like. If you look at rugby particularly, the game actually d is part of the, the people, if you like. So when you look at Ireland, it, they play it like you'd expect the Irish people to play it. You'd expect them to kind of be semi-organised and <laughs> like... Those days have gone they, they, No, I think... But when <laughs> Come you, on, they were as organised as any team in the world, you, I think. When you look at England then, it doesn't matter who's coaching them or who's captaining them, they're going to be boring and they're going to be straight and... No, it's, it's a view I hold. Um, but do you then, think that reflects on the English then people? You go, then you go to France, right? And in France play it with they, they, they have this wonderful word which we call Elan, E-L-A-N, and I can't pronounce it in French. And they have Elan, and then they go on the pitch and they play like Frenchmen, right? And it starts off, they come on the pitch and they play the anthems, and then they play the Marseillaise. And like, I'm actually tempted to stand for the Marseillaise rather than no, don't be saying, the Don't be so saying that now. They, they have the greatest anthem of all. And then, but why? Are they so good now? Now, this team. Because despite what all these experts will tell you, right? The game hasn't changed all that much in 150 years. And if you have the best scrum half in the world and you have the best 
halfback combination in the world in the shape of the France. Well, I see. I'll, I'll go against you. I'll go against you, and I'll disagree, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that mystique of French rugby is gone. I think I think it applied when teams didn't have much of a look at French rugby. Now that all the provinces play them, these players have become kind of second nature to them. And I also think that part of French rugby's greatness is also part of their folly. I think that if they fall behind in matches, yes, okay, they won that match against the All Blacks last year, and they played that brilliant brand of rugby you talk about it but in some ways it was just due to, to, to luck as well you know Intermac got away from a couple of tackles he should have been shut down behind the line I don't see fr fr I see them as a threat in the World Cup because they're living at home and French players will always tell you that they don't like going away you look at the European Cup uh, uh, records of teams away you know they go away from 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 France to play the record is bad they're not great travelers. I, I don't, I don't and I know they're at home this year against Ireland I just think Ireland have an amazingly strong team on paper with options like DuPont might not even make the first game so that you can take the okay. you know can I quote one of the great pundits all right <laughs> John, no Johnny Giles the great soccer pundit. And Bill O'Hurley said to Giles, he said, now he said, who do you think is going to win, Johnny? And Johnny said, quite rightly, I'm not Nostradamus. I'm not, I can't forecast the result. So therefore, all we're having here, we can't forecast, and we shouldn't be held accountable for it. In other words, they, somebody shouldn't say... Well, I think you can forecast some matches. You yeah, can forecast no. that Italy are probably going to win one match if they're lucky. So, right, but, okay. You know. So my view is different from your yeah, view, which so is, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. And okay, uh, you know, just uh, we'll, we'll finish okay. up. Uh, no, that's fine. No, but no, I think you, I think you reasonably there. I just, you know, I just think yeah. that I Ireland have a better uh, opportunity. I think, you know, I, we say I know we say it all the time, but I think they're they're in, they're in a, in a place. Uh, you know, looking at looking at the at the at the new players and some of the players that you've watched, I suppose uh, provincially. Um, there's a lot of young players out there now that, that it's exciting times for Irish rugby, isn't it? I mean, the, these Ulster guys that are performing, Hume and, and, and these guys coming into the squad, you know, some players coming back, you know, Robbie Henshaw, Johnny Sexton's still there. It's, it's, it's an exciting time for, for Irish rugby, isn't but, it? But how did it happen? That's the question. How did it happen? <laughs> and of course, I'm not Nostradamus. No, but at the root of this is a cork fella. Right? Naturally, all good things come from Cork. So when they brought in professionalism, right, at the very yes, beginning, yeah. they were brought in the, kicking the Scots said, yeah. the Scots said, oh no, we're not going to do this. You know, this yeah, is no, just no, fun no, and games. Yeah. The English turned around and said, well, you know what? Uh, we're going to give all the power to the clubs, right? And the Welsh said, well, our fellas can play wherever the hell they like. And the great Tommy Kiernan, the greatest Irish rugby man in 150 years from Pres Cork, Cork Constitution in Ireland. Tommy Kiernan and, let's be honest, Sid Miller from Ulster, they said, no, the trick is we own the players. So they said, if we own the players, we tell them when to play, what to yeah. do. No, you and yeah. you had the country forget Italy for the moment, because they weren't there in the professional thing starting, we had the smallest rugby playing population. But we did it best. We got the absolute maximum out of the system. Everybody has now forgotten how it all started. No, 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 I think but I mean, our provincial... Yeah, it's strongest Tommy in the world, saw, possibly. Correct. 
Tommy Kiernan saw. It was extraordinary. He saw that if we 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 yeah. we could produce, we can produce 120 or 150 good players, right? Divide that by four. We got 30 in each province. They're all professionals. We're in charge. We're running it. And that was the beginning. All things have happened, which I, I'm not going to dismiss. But the key, and it is bedeviling England to this very day. It is bedeviling no, Scotland right. to this because very day. Because their provinces are watered down. I think you'd agree. Even this year, you see that the, all the Irish provinces involved in the last 16 of the, of the Heineken Cup. And that's just proof in the pudding that, you know, the, the provincial rugby. Last thing, I suppose, what people want to know. Have you found retirement uh, from television and radio and everything? Have you found it easy, George, or has it been, you know, uh, people want to know kind of, you know, I suppose what life has been like for your retirement, COVID and, and, and whatever or something. Do you, miss, do you miss being front of house on the radio and on the TV and that? Do you miss that adoration? I mean, we all, we all have egos in TV and radio and that. I don't care what anybody says. And you all want to be loved and you all want to be recognised and you all want people coming up to you on the street. I remember coming back from those matches where people would flood around, get your autograph and stuff like that. You know, is, is that still important to you? Oh, no. I know. Seriously, like, I know, but like, I mean, you got to remember, like, it's five years or whatever. But I mean, were the withdrawal but symptoms? But you get upset if people no, recognise you. Hold on. Were the withdrawal symptoms, yeah. right? Of course there were withdrawal sim symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. And then I suddenly discovered that for the first time in my life, right, mm -hmm. I was married to this great dame. I didn't realize for nearly 50 years that I was married to a great dame. Suddenly, instead of whistling off on Saturday afternoon or going on tour or whatever, so now, I mean, this sounds, I know it sounds, no, 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 but it's true. Suddenly I discovered this great dame. Suddenly these three children, who for some extraordinary reason, despite my appalling fatherhood, actually quite like me, okay? So now I have these three children. I have these nine grandchildren. Yeah. God above, it's unbelievable. Then I'm privileged. I'm in this extraordinary privilege. I work with Transition Year in Presentation College Cork, the boys' school, my old school, and in Sculvera, the girls' school, teaching and broadcasting and watching these shy young people flower to speak. It's an unbelievable thing. I'm having a great time. I, this very uh, golf year, uh, just passed, in the summer, I had my most successful year in golf in my entire life, winning the President's Prize, the oldest man ever to win the President's Prize in the golf club. I've now won two majors, as they call them, 44 years ago the Captain's Prize, and now this year the President's Prize. There's so much going on for me that I couldn't even think about radio television. And that's, uh, did I withdraw this press? Of course I did. I'd want, you know, I wanted to do something. You know, who's going to ask me to do something? I want to show everybody that I'm great, you know. And that lasted a, a while. And then I suddenly discovered there was something else. And, and that something else is better. That something else is better. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, like somebody said once, the love of a good woman is a great thing, you know. And I'm with well, hopefully this. I'll, I'll hopefully I'll find like, out. No, but like, I'm married to this woman for 52 years, the lovely Ingrid. It took me 45 years to actually understand, like, what she could do. And it's just amazing. 
It's just amazing. And then take COVID, right? Everybody is telling me how dreadful COVID was, right? And what it did to their social lives. Oh, COVID's been the best thing ever for me. For four, for 500 consecutive dinners, Ingrid cooked dinner during COVID. So like, I had never been at 500 consecutive dinners in my entire life together. And suddenly I'm at home, we're having dinner, I'm talking to her, right? Uh, she gets up in the morning. I then, of course, I get instructions. Like you're married to a German here. You're not married to your commoner garden dame. You're married to a German. George, here are your instructions for the day. First, to bring the milk in. Then Which is good. Go and, something you didn't do. Then you go and get anyway, my look, paper. Anyway, look, we're, we're, we're running out of time. Are just, we? Yes. Just, Surely not. It seems like only five minutes. Just uh, a couple of quick fire questions now to end, and don't uh, go on. And I promise just, I'll answer no, short. I promise. Uh, uh, greatest Irish player ever, in your opinion? No, there's no question. Jack, Kyle, Ulster, uh, the greatest, uh, even by New Zealand thought he was the greatest out half ever to visit their country. He won 44 caps, which was a world record at the time. He was the greatest, out, the greatest player I've ever seen. Greatest modern player, Brian O'Driscoll? I... I I'm not as sold on Brian O'Driscoll as everybody else, I must say. Well, it has to be. In a, a no, it, it, well, it doesn't have to be. No, but not in my Ogar, opinion. Ron not in my opinion. Not in my Ron opinion. Ogar, Johnny Sexton. Uh, I think there's, there's this great phrase about, you know, we will never see his like again. I don't think we're going to see something like Johnny Sexton again. I used to play golf with his grandfather. I coached his father. And Sexton has all those... Some might say not qualities, they might call him something else, but he has all those from his father and grandfather, which makes him an extraordinary rugby player. Thanks very much for your time. It's been fascinating insight to not, not, not only George Hook, the rugby man, but I think George Hook, the man, about people, you know, crossing over so many years. You know, we've been at it a long time, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see you. And you're looking well, and uh, long may it continue, and long may continue playing golf, and... Uh, and enjoying life, I suppose that's the message.